Welcome to Pure Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And this is our first episode of the Level Up Review. Yeah. Level Up Review. What do we mean by that, Mike? So, um, you know, this is this is something we've kind of tossed around doing. And, and you know, we've I use a lot of the quote of the week, right? And one of the yeah. reasons I do quote of the week is I, I firmly believe uh, that there's so much knowledge and information out there that we can uh, get from different means, right? Whether it's watching YouTube, reading, um, you know, really good books. There's a lot of different ways of getting information. And some of that stuff applies to your everyday life. Some of it applies to reselling. And, you know, we've talked about like, what if we read through some some powerful books? Uh, maybe, you know, some some will be great. Some will be like, as we read it, we're like, I don't know. So it's not like we're like endorsing or trying to like sell the book or anything. But yeah. let's read some books and kind of figure out what are some powerful principles that we can take from this book, apply it into our life, apply it into reselling and level up, right? Because that's really what Pure Hustle Podcast is about. So there is the strict, here's, you know, what we're selling this week and what we sold and, you know, themed episode type thing. Uh, but this is a little different in that, you know, it's going to apply to reselling. It's going to apply to your life. Uh, but it's kind of a bonus. You know, you don't you don't have to listen to it, but it'd be great if you do. I think you'll get a awesome lot of if it. you did. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's the here's a little bit of struggle I'm having, though. So please understand, like, you know, it's kind of like reselling. So you always want to go to individuals that know what they're doing, right? That know what they're talking about. So we're openly saying, hey, these books that we're reading, we're going to them because they've been established as an authority. Right. Not saying that we're in the same level or in the same place with these books, because even reading our latest book, The Richest Man in Babylon by George Clausen, like I read I read some of this and I'm like, these are some things I probably need to start implementing. Yeah. Right. So we're with this with all of you. Right. We're not coming from a place of authority that like, hey, we've done all these things and we're super successful. And this is why we're going through this level up review. No, we're doing this because, hey. We believe that there are principles that we found in these books that are valuable. And, and maybe later on, if this level of review continues for the next year or so, there might be some books that were like, you know, what? I, I don't know about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important, too. And one of the things we're going to do with this is if you want to read along the book with us, that would be amazing. I think there's there's incredible things you could take from it, because when I read and I'm I'm taking stuff, I'm looking at it through the lens of my experiences, my life. I'm looking at it through like, how does this apply to me? And I can pull out those nuggets and then I'm going to give them um, on the podcast. We'll talk about like mm -hmm. what what stood out and how it can impact our lives. And I think even if you don't read the book, you're going to pull a lot out of that. But if you read it yourself, you might realize that like, hey, there's something that you can get out of it that I didn't even recognize. Agreed. So, All the time yeah. that happens. Yeah. So I would say if you if you have the opportunity, read along. If you're just listening in right now and you're like, I haven't read the book, I shouldn't listen to the episode, still listen, right? Because what we're hoping to do is to take, you know, what takes several hours worth of reading and condense it down into like, here are the key ideas, the takeaways. Um, so you still can get something uh, useful out of it. Or you have some background noise while you're shipping and packing outside of the normal episodes. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> so there's something there for you. I can't tell you how many times in my life it's been, you know, like a podcast on in the background or something that I'm listening to and there's like a lot of great things, but like one little piece of something yep, somebody says, like that's what stands out. And the cool thing about books is, and I'm a little biased here because I'm an English teacher, right? So I love reading literature. I love pulling stuff out of it. Uh, but there's something I always tell my students at the beginning of the year and I have a really hard time convincing them of this. But I think I think that if you believe this, if you realize the value of this, it'll change your life in a lot of ways. Um, and it was this. So I heard um, a quote. 
Are you doing a quote of the week before we before even start a book? Yeah. And, and not intentionally, but it just has to do with reading. And it's this. So Bill Gates was asked, if you could have any superpower in the world, what would it be? Any superpower. Bill Gates, one of the wealthiest men alive, his response is this. Read books faster. Really? Read books faster. I can see that. And because you gain so much out of it. So hopefully um, we can provide a little bit of that, you know, in that you can get a whole book's worth or half a book's or worth. you can listen to it in faster. In just one podcast. Put us on two times speed. Uh, one and a half is like the right. I don't know. Two <laughs> times right. is a little chipmunky. Right. No, I don't know. You know, sometimes people are busy and they got things to do. Yeah. Well, so there you enough. go. All right. So first book, The Richest Man in Babylon. Now you may be asking, like, why was that first book? And I, I would say... It's because it was short. We didn't want to get something that, you know, <laughs> seemed too crazy. And the principles, you know, here's the thing. You could Google this book and you could just boom, find out what it is. You could actually read the back of the book and it tells you what the book's about. But the principles are, are ideas that are so dense that sometimes you have to unpack them to truly grasp what it says. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting because it starts off. Um, one of the first chapters, kind of the introduction of the book, uh, was kind of like a historical perspective of Babylon and why like Babylon was such a wealthy place. And and to tell you the truth, like I know you're a history guy. Um, that to me was only somewhat interesting, right? Okay. I was really intrigued when it switched over to like the narrative perspective. Once it started, it was characters and, and it's obviously it's fiction being used to teach real truths, right? Mm -hmm. And you start connecting yourself to different characters in the story. It's like, okay, like I could see how I'm like that character and like asking for advice or messing up in this way. And instead of just like a nonfiction kind of textbook style, like here's the truth, here's the explanation. Yeah, it's kind of presented in a way that's like, I don't know, it's intriguing because it's like, it's characters, it's stories, it's narrative. Yeah, and you got to work through it. Yeah. Like you got to understand, you know, you got number one, there's different filters. Like you first, you got to understand, right? Because some of the language is a little, little older, right? So you got to read through that. Then you got to understand, okay, what is the ultimate goal here? Like, what what are these characters? What Like, what is their play in all of this? And so that's where we're seeing it. And to me, like, right away, I read, you know, within the first page, I don't know, depends which one. We have. This is the one that's online. Uh, but right away, you know, I read this and I go, that would be nice, right? When it, it's talking about, is it Arcad? Is that how you say it? Yeah, Arcad. Or Arcad. 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 Gonna, let's say Arcad for the sake of the podcast. Okay. You know, it talks about Arcan. It says he was liberal in his own expenses, but nevertheless, each year his wealth increased more rapidly than he spent it. Hmm. Uh, to me, that is like, that's it. Can I see your book version real quick? Yeah. How are you looking at mine? Well, I'm just, I want to see because mine. Right, what, what are you looking at there, Mike? Oh, there was a whole section of mine. I know the intro, the other intro. I know I, I on Audible, I, there's a whole part of it. Yeah. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit, that part, because I feel like it was really intriguing, but go ahead. No, but all I wanted to share is like, hey, to me, if you could be in a place, right, where it's not paycheck to paycheck and each year things are leveling up more, right? So you can't outspend what you're making. You're in a good place, yeah. right? Because then you have these extra this extra income and then, you know we'll talk about that in a little bit but the extra income also determines what you can do in the future right and that's kind of what we talk about leveling up right we this whole thing about pure Soul podcast from the beginning was leveling leveling up your standard of living right so if that man making a little bit more money to cover some bills 
or to enjoy your weekends or to go on vacation or to go full time, whatever it was, was to make more money. So you didn't have to feel like you were kind of in this like stuck place where like you didn't have these options. Right. And so when I look at Arcad and and it talks about who he was and what he did and, and before he talks, starts talking about his systems. Right. That's a good place to be. Right. Because I can say for a long time, I was in a place where I was just like, oh, I don't know how we're going to pay this bill. OK, I think I need to take this job and I need to do this. So anyways, OK, sorry. Yeah. That that right away that just stuck out to me. Okay, so tell me a little bit. What was it about the intro? So there's a whole section, um, and, and it's interesting that, that version doesn't have it. But there's a whole section where there's two guys, and maybe your version does have it, uh, and maybe I just didn't notice it there. But where there was a guy sitting, and his wife was kind of waiting for him to like finish working because they're they they needed money so they can get food, and he was a chariot builder. Okay. Okay. And but what was his name? Do you remember? Um, his. Basher? Uh, Banzer, yeah. Banzer, okay. So there's this character, Banzer, and he's sitting there and he's contemplating the fact um, that he has worked his entire life, like tirelessly worked. He's like the best craftsman in making chariots. And he's recognized that all of these other people have money. And even though he's worked his entire life, he's got nothing. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a terrible place to be. Yeah. And, and, and he obviously has income coming in. Like whenever he makes one of these chariots, he sells it. He's got income that comes in. But then he looks around at what he's got and it, it's just not enough. Right. He doesn't have any money. It's, in fact, another friend comes up and asks to borrow some money. And he says, look, I don't have the money to, to, to lend you. And that's kind of in my version, what leads us into who Arcad is, is they say, man, like, why can't we have money? Like, remember our friend Arcad, who was just like us, who grew up with us. He's got a bunch of money. He's got tons of stuff. Let's go ask him how he made his money, right? And they go and they talk to him and he gives this story about how, how it was he made his money. But one interesting thing is, is they make the comment that like Babylon is of all of the areas, like they made that city had more wealth in it than any neighboring area, right? Mm-hmm. So much money. And he looks at that and he says, but I've got nothing. And I think like we live in a time where it's like that, like where the opportunities to, to have real wealth is just endless, but yet it's so easy to work tirelessly all the time, put in really hard work and not have much to show for it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's like the difference between income and wealth. Like what, what do you feel like is the, the primary difference between income versus wealth? Well, I, I think I think you, you hit it. it. It's one of those issues where, you know, it, it was really sad reading that because you know, you're in that place. Right. And, you know, for me, like I, I went I went to college, I got a master's and so on. And, I was, you know, I was a teacher and, and I was in a school administrator. But after all that, like. I hit like this kind of like this place where I couldn't get any further. Right. Financially. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it was it was really tough. And so. Reselling provided that opportunity for me to expand. Like I could, you know, I talk about Amazon pulling pulling the lever, but it, it's a little bit more than just pulling the lever to make quick sales. It's about like, hey, I now, even though I'm on the same level playing field, right? Like I went to college like everybody else. I got a master's like everybody else. You know, I did all the, I checked all the boxes. Now I have an option to be able to extend myself even more. Right. If you're careful. Right. Because I think yeah. even this talks about some of those principles like you can easily make more income, but not have any more wealth. No, I agree. Well, and that's that. And that goes into what you spend your money on. Right. Right. But I, I got to tell you, there there was a point in time when I'm like, OK, is this it? Like, is this am I just going to live a nine to five? And I'm not, again, we always say if you love your nine to five. Keep doing your nine to five. Don't walk away from it. I love my nine to five, but I love spending time with my kids more. So that was more important to me. And that's why I walked away. 
But if you're in a place where you're like, is this all is this all there is to life, right? Is it is it just me doing the nine to five and barely making the bills? And I just, you know, I dread waking up Monday mornings. I hate like for me, I hated Sunday nights at times because I tried to do everything. I would rush my kids to so we could have our family dinner early so I could have the rest of the night to myself, right? And then come Monday and everybody, you know, we're at the office and we're joking about can't wait for Friday, right? And it's like, to me, that was not an existence I enjoyed. I loved what I did in the in-between, but still, to me, there was something inherently wrong with that. And so to me, income is, yeah, I make enough money to take care of the bills, to be okay, and so on. Well, his, hey, I can choose to do more. I can choose. I mean, wealth, I mean, we can go various routes, but wealth ultimately is you give yourself freedom. Yeah. And I think too, because there's there's an aspect of that that um, you know, is pretty philosophical. And I think I heard an economist say that the best definition of of income versus wealth was this. He says, um, income is the amount of money coming in, wealth is what you've accumulated. Yep. That's agreed. the difference, right? Agreed. So so you can have a lot of money coming in and accumulate nothing, or you can have a lot of money or even very little money coming in, but be accumulating, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've read stories of people on minimum wage jobs who've saved and done things properly and have been extremely wealthy. And I know a lot of people who make significantly more money than I do, and they, they're in debt and their actual net worth, their wealth is far less, right? Oh, no, I know a lot of people. I mean, it, it's always like, if at that point in time they were to lose their job, like they're done. Yeah, they might have they might have income and they might even have freedom, right? Like the amount of income they have coming in might allow freedom for things that like, you know, because it's easy to think of just the nine to five job as like almost like a prison. But, you know, th- there are certain people who, you know, th- it provides enough income. And if they use the income in a way where it's like just fun freedom now, but if they're not following some of the principles that are brought in this book, you end up running into problems later on. And, and, and so we'll get to that. One of the things I really liked is, um, it says that it costs nothing to ask um, advice, to ask wise advice, right? And one of the things I really love about this is even just reading in general is I think to myself, like I have not had a lot of really good mentors in my life, mm-hmm. right? Especially financially. Like I love my parents to death. They were not financially wise at all, right? And so growing up, I did not get to see financially wise decisions being made. It, that wasn't modeled for me. I was in the same place. My parents were... They thrived in the eighties. Like I remember having, you know, we got our, we had a house, we had a nice car. I mean, we had everything, but there was no, there was income, right? So we lived well. I mean, we, we traveled, I mean, we did all these things, but now in 2019, there's not a single house to their name. There's, you know, and then there's nothing left. My, my, my childhood was different. Like we had like nothing, like pretty much nothing. Like we, we, we grew up kind of, you know, in poverty and so when money did come in, they didn't know how to spend it. They didn't know how to use it well. And so one of the amazing things that says here, it, it asks nothing to ad, ad, ask advice from a friend. Um, and, and the truth is we don't all have good examples, but we get to through reading books from, you know, recent or all the way from like, you know, biographies of people who've lived hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. We, it's almost like they become our mentors. No, right? Like it, if yeah. you read a biography or an autobiography, or if you read some of the key concepts of like a, a of, of a person who's extremely successful, it's almost like getting to sit down and have lunch with them every time you open up the book or every time you listen to them on Audible and get to say like, how do you do things? Yeah, no, I agree. That's I agree. huge. And so these characters in the story started by going to Arcad and say like, how'd you do it? Right. Well, it was interesting. So 
you had mentioned about this thing about, you know, not knowing what to do with money and so on. And we're kind of, you know, you had talked about like they all were in the same level playing field, right? Mm -hmm. They all had worked hard, but one of them had a lot to show for it and and everyone else didn't. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about, you know, was and we'll touch on this a little bit is that one of the principles in this book very, very, very early on is that, you know, we're kind of in this place where. I don't know. I, entitlement, I think, has been a part of civilization since the beginning of time. I don't think it's something that's recent. Right? I think right now people are using the word a lot, but it's just I think it's just a buzzword right now. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, in this discussion of entitlement, even back then, you know, there's this issue of sometimes people are like, well, if I just had that lucky break, mm-hmm. if I just had that opportunity, you know, you ha- and I get it. I think I think that. There are situations that do play that do hinder you from jumping to those opportunities, some that you didn't choose to have. Right. But there's other times, you know, and, and depending where you are socioeconomically, where even though you may be in a difficult place, there's you still have the capability. It's just going to be a little more difficult. Right. Yeah. And the friends even say that. Right. They kind of make the thing of was it luck? And they bring up luck. And Arkad, like totally the the rich, the wealthy character in the story, he like just totally throws that away. He, he, in fact, he basically says, look, people have that people spend money to gratify desires that can never be satisfied. They spend, they spend, they spend. And he says, honestly, not only does luck have nothing to do with it, but typically luck works in the opposite. Well, this is the question they ask him. They go, nor have you worked harder or more faithfully. in so far as we can judge, why then should a fickle fate single you out to enjoy all the good things of life and ignore us who are equally deserving? And I think right there, like, that's why they, I, and my experience is that that's why they will stay stuck. Yeah. I mean, it's a mentality thing at that point. And part of it is they, I think they acknowledge it of fate, right? They mention fate. Yeah. They mention luck. And, and he goes on to say, like, look, people who make their income, they make their wealth through luck, never works out well. And we see well, that. Yeah, like he you, says, let me just read it. He goes, fickle fate, right? This is our cat. He goes, fickle, this is on, if you're in the mass paperback book, that's in our link. Page 12. Fickle fate is a vicious goddess that brings no permanent good to anyone. On the contrary, she brings ruin to almost every man upon whom she showers unearned gold. She makes wanton spenders who soon dissipate all they receive and are left beset by overwhelming appetites and desires they have not the ability to gratify. And I can go on and on. But it's kind of like, you know, you see those uh, on reality TV, like those lotto winners, right? right? And I'm sure it's not all lottery winners, but there's something to be said when you know, you there, you had no responsibility for the wealth that you created, right? So, you know, without that responsibility for that wealth you created, then the responsibility to make wise choices with it, it yeah. and to manage it goes away with that. And so, but uh, the other side of the coin is that if we know that to be true, then the way to, I guess, you know, accumulate or build that wealth is by taking ownership and by being responsible. And later on, you know, Arquette says, uh, later on, it says, on the contrary, I would make myself a guest at this banquet of good things. So in that context, he's referring to, hey, you know what? You may not be invited, let's say, to the rich man's table, or you may not be invited to this, let's put it in in context of now, you may not be invited to this world of wealthy entrepreneurs, but you can invite yourself by applying certain principles that will get you there. Yeah. And, and the thing too is he's not, 
obviously the, the, the this primary character is not um, against wealth because he's the wealthiest man in Babylon. Um, in fact, he makes this claim, right? Because I think the other end of the spectrum is people can kind of go like, okay, well then wealth is bad, right? Like people who get wealth, they win the lotto, they, they squander it, they're not happy. People aren't happy when they have lots of money. And that is true. Like you can have lots of money and be unhappy, but part of that is a mindset thing. And the other thing too is he recognized and he says this, he says, um, wealth is power with wealth. Many things are possible, right? Like, so there's the other side of the coin of like, yeah, if you just gain money through luck, as it were, like, you're probably not going to be happy. It's probably going to ruin you. But the other side of the coin is being wealthy is a power. It's a tool that can be used to give you all kinds of opportunities. Yeah, and this con- we see it all the time in our, in our current society. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's being wealthy opens doors, right? It's kind of a, I'm going to throw this out there. I, there's a study that came out and it's, it's related, but it's not. But it's like, if you're in a position of wealth or a position of power, your jokes are funnier. I can right? see that. <laughs> and so, you know, you might be, you might have a really good joke and you walk into a room and you tell it and people are like, ha ha, kind of funny. But if you're like CEO, you're a boss or you're a wealthy guy and you tell that joke, everybody's like, ha ha, that was hilarious. But I, to me, that's an example of with wealth's power, right? With notoriety. Now, I will say I disagree a little bit with the book. Sure. I mean, because are we okay with that? Yeah, we don't have to like agree with everything. I, I think I think we got to define wealth. So if we're talking about purely monetary terms, I think, yeah, I think that still applies. But I think right now we're in an age that influence is a source of wealth. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think with social media, with everything going on, I think <laughs> this is why there's a lot of people with like big Instagram accounts and and so on is that, hey, if you can put yourself in the position like this is who I am, that can open doors for you also. So you got to be careful. And you got to be responsible. Yeah, I think you're right with that. I think, though, if I were to like really analyze that statement and break it down, I would come down to say like the reason influence is also power because you're saying it's also power, right? Like we, There's a lot of things that are also power. Yeah, true, but, true. but in an economic terms, the reason influence is power is because influence can be capitalized on, right? Yeah. Like people look at it, your influence is potential revenue. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's still monetary, right? Like, cause money is just a symbol of an exchange of something, right? It's usually like time or place. Okay. Right? I see what you're saying. So, so I don't think that that contradicts it. It's just saying influence is money before it's turned into money. Right. It's just the way people are trading it. Okay. All right. That's a good point. I do want to, okay. <laughs> I see what you're saying. I'm like, I'm still pondering it. So there's one thing here that I thought was so applicable to reselling. So later on, Arkad says, as for study, did not our wise teacher teach us that learning was of two kinds, right? So kind of our podcast, right? We we share pretty much how to get to the place, but we don't share you the whole way through, right? Mm. We don't tell you what specific, well, we do have our bolos and, mm. well, we don't, you know, constantly share, hey, this is exactly how to do this. This is what you should pick up. We kind of teach you how to get there, right? And this is a key part here. It says, did not our wise teachers teach us that learning was of two kinds? The one kind being the things we learned and knew, and the other being in the training that taught us how to find out what we did not know. And I think that's so big in reselling. I think, I think that's the one piece of advice I would give to anyone was that it's, it's okay for you. To, like We're not opposed to courses. Okay, we, we always say, hey, if there's a good, good course and there's a track record of it being successful, go for it. The the kind of the reservation we have is that course will only teach you to do that. Right. Right. Now, if it does, if there's a course that teaches you how to do that and then how to research more or how to find other things out or 
how to find out the what you don't know, that's even more powerful. Yeah, yeah. And and part of that just comes from um not just the ability to to succeed or to to want to to progress, but also like a just a, a love for learning, right? And if you're listening to our podcast, I mean this podcast, this exact episode might be a little different than what you're used to with our podcast. But if you listen to Pure Hustle Podcast, you listen to it because you love learning, right? Like yeah. ultimately it comes down and and the reason anybody learns anything is because there's value from it, right? Mm-hmm. Like you learn something because there's something in there that's valuable that is applicable to your life. And so, uh, you know, like recognizing that that you are a lover of learning, like you already love learning, even if you've never articulated it that way. And maybe you do, maybe you like already know, like you're passionate about learning new things and and learning for yourself. But if you're if you listen to the podcast, you're you're already there. You love learning. Yeah, and don't shortchange yourself, right? Don't go, hey, well, yeah, I really don't love learning, you know, whatever, you know, I, I just love reselling. But hey, to be a legit reseller, you have to learn, right? And by the way, I know our audience expands beyond resellers, right? So, you know, this book is very big amongst the debt-free community, right? A lot of Dave Ramsey followers, a lot of different groups. And so just understand that our podcast right now, especially these extra bonus episodes, it's for reselling. But like you said, this level up review is for anybody that's looking to move themselves forward in their financial. Yeah. Like, I guess we should have started the episode because hopefully people are still listening. We should have started <laughs> the episode by saying, like, once we get to like the end of this, like the seven things that they say, because we're only doing about half the book right now. If you apply these things to your life, I can almost 100% guarantee you, you are going to walk away in a few years so much wealthier than you are now. Like th- these are just tried and true things. Like this, these will change your life. Like there's not like, hey, maybe these will change. Like this will change your life. Like 100% mm-hmm. change your life. And so, you know, like when you listen to these things and, and you, you get the advice, just like these two friends who go and they ask our cat how they did it. Like we get to read through the book and get the exact same advice. And one of the pieces of advice that I, I, I like that he said, um, kind of stood out to me. He said this, he says, time. All men have it in abundance, yet you two have let it slip by without accumulating wealth. When I think about that, it's like every person has the exact same 24 hours every day. And beyond that, 24 hours in a day that you have to get stuff done, you have the same 24 hours that Bill Gates has, you have the same 24 hours that Warren Buffett has or Oprah or whoever. But beyond that, you, when you're young, are you have opportunity. Your life is just, it's, it's potential. And as you get older, you trade in potential oftentimes for wealth. Right. That's why usually people who are younger tend to be poorer than people as they get older. They tend to accumulate more wealth and income because they have experience and things. Now, the question is, no matter where you are in that time frame, right, no matter whether you're really young right now or you're, you're later on in life, and you're getting closer towards retirement. You've got to realize, like, now's the time to make sure that I'm preparing for later because I don't want to let any more time slip by without accumulating wealth. And I, I, there's a little bit of reservation I have. I think. I don't know if, well, I I guess everybody, we can say conceptually, right? Abstractly or whatever you you want to say it. Everybody has the same 24 hours. But not everyone has the same 24 hours. (laughs) In the sense that we all make choices that cut away from those 24 hours, right? So, you know, if you're single, you have a lot, I would say you would have a lot more 24 hours, right? If you're married, you cut down on the 24 hours. If you have kids, you cut down. If you have pets, you cut down those 24 hours. If you're part of a church community, you cut down those 24 hours. So now it all depends on how you define wealth, right? So I would say, yes, we all have the same 24 hours, but we also don't have those 24 hours based on the choices that we make. 
Well, no, but that's the thing is you still have the same 24 hours. Now, how much of that is expendable is based off the choices you make. Correct. Right? You've made you've made choices. So yeah, that's that's fair to say. But but right now, like, if you think, okay, like I'm just speaking to like a younger, younger listener, okay. So let's say you're you're 18, you're 19, you've got a whole lot ahead of you, you don't have tons of responsibility right now. Um, if you start accumulating wealth now, then when you get to the point where you've got a family and you've got kids and you've got a lot more responsibilities. Now you've got money working for you and you don't have to spend time washing your car necessarily because you could pay someone to wash your car mm -hmm. for you. You don't have to spend time mowing your lawn because you could pay someone to do it for you. And then it frees up time. So, so yeah, I mean, we could talk about like your over time, like, you know, I have more responsibilities today than I did, you know, months ago. So I don't have as much time to do stuff, but the choices you're making now over the long run is going to either help you accumulate wealth or not. Like you only have like your, your trading p potential that you have today for wealth or not for wealth later, right? But, and I think the book addresses that too. You know, you let's just get very practical, like washing cars, right? I used to love washing my car. I, you know, I I had cars back in the day that I thought were nice, had an Impala and so on, and I would I wouldn't mind spending the four or five hours. Now I'm like, no, like I I'll pay, you know, the twenty dollars or so, or and or I actually have a monthly membership at a place because that time is time I could be sourcing, I could be listing, I could. You know, and so you're right. In that sense, you're right. And he addresses this like you got to be wise about where your money goes. Right. So ultimately, your money needs to be put into a place that is going to help you accumulate this wealth and overall give you that time to do that. So, yeah, I see what you're saying with the time. I, you know, we're coming full circle. here. OK, but um, I don't know what you think of this. So <laughs> I thought this was huge. I think this applied to reselling. I think it applies to anything. But, you know, on, on page 20 of the one from our link, it, you know, uh, Arcat says, every fool must learn, he growled. Uh, but why trust the knowledge of a brick master about jewels? So this is somebody that had... Was, it was like algish something. Yeah, so before sorry. we even get there, so so I think that, that's Did true. Did I jump the gun? A just, I mean, just a little bit in the sense that, okay, okay so, so Arcat starts to explain how he made his money, right? And he gives a principle. And I think this one principle that kind of starts everything like is foundational for the story yeah. and foundational for this. And, and it's this one key phrase, part of what I earn is mine to keep. Okay. Yeah. I just get part, <laughs> part of what I earn is yeah. mine to keep. Right. And, and he, he basically says, look, he started off working and he, he wasn't making a lot of money. He was working really hard, working lots of hours and a rich, wealthy guy came to him and he made a bargain with the guy. Like, I'll do this job for you if you teach me how to be wealthy. And that's what the guy taught him is, is part of, part of what you make is yours. And, and this is, okay, I got a question for you. Yeah. Okay. So we talk a lot in the podcast about reinvesting the money you make. So are you saying not all of it? Yeah. And I think part of that is, okay, so this looks different. I think we need to just define income as money coming in, right? Okay. So some of that money, if you're building a business, it looks a little different as a business owner because you're reinvesting. You've got personal income, you got business income, right? Okay. Or if you want to just combine it all, so as let's one say thing. you're full time and it's okay. So let's say it's full time, then it's just like a job. Any amount of money that you have coming in, part of what you earn is yours. Now that doesn't mean, um, but is that different than your bills? Yes. So here's what that means. So okay. so instead of this money comes in. And I can spend it on items that I want to buy or spend it to pay bills or spend it even for more capital, which I think is part of the investment, which we'll talk about late when we get to the investment portion of this. But what it means, and he's, he gives a specific number, he says 10%. 10% of everything you make, he says, you, you pay 
and I'll I'll break it down into like modern terms because he talks about like you pay the 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 brick maker, you pay the this, you pay the the yeah. the baker, you pay, but but literally you you pay, pay your baker, you pay for rent, right, or you pay for your mortgage, then you also which is a little different because it's you own you that. pay Netflix, yeah, so you you, pay, you and you have yeah. bills right, like all these things you own, like you're willing to pay for the electricity in your house, you're willing to pay for the water, treat yourself like you are treat one of those yourself. bills you have to pay. Did you say treat yourself? No, treat yourself. Like treat yourself. Like Parks and Rec? Is that where you just... Is that where you went? Okay, anyways, no. go ahead. But all right. We're not talking good. about that treat yourself. Okay, no, go ahead. No, no treat <laughs> treat yourself as if... I got lighthearted, but Mike was, Mike was into it. I'm into this, man. Treat yourself as if you are one of the bills, right? So 10% of the money that comes in, put it into a savings account. Don't touch it. Okay. Right? All right. And that, 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 that's my question. Like, yeah. okay, so you're saying ten, like it doesn't go anywhere. Well, it, I mean, does. It, it does eventually, but it doesn't go to bills. No. It's not something like you're treating yourself. I'm like, hey, I'm going to go to a Padres game yeah, or so, I'm going to go so to let's the movies. Say, so let's say you make $100 a month and over the course of a year, you put you put 10% in, right? You, you'd end up making, what, 120 bucks in the month yeah. or in the yeah. year, right? That Just for easy, easy numbers. That doesn't mean at the end that you save that much. Now you go buy something with it, right? But but this is this is the wealth. This is what you're building. This is what you're accumulating. You're not buying more stuff with it. You're not buying. And and one of the best ways I ever heard this described is is a simple principle of I, I'm gonna use the term poor people, but I, every person, right? The normal person buys liabilities. They buy things that cost them money. Wealthy people buy assets, things yep, that make true. them money, right? Yeah. And so. Part the, the key, the, one of the key principles in this whole thing is part of what you earn is yours. Now, once you've accumulated a bunch of that, it's time to make that money make you money, which leads into Arcad's first investment opportunity. What did he, where did, how did he invest it? I think he he heard about was it the Shields of the Phoenicians? It, no, it was after the before the Shields. Before the Shields, that was the right. successful. One. Well, he was he was looking about investing in jewels, and jewels. he went to a brickmaker. Yeah, right. And you know, Arcad is very clear. He goes, every fool must learn. But why trust the knowledge of a brickmaker about jewels? Would you go to the breadmaker to inquire about the stars? And I think that's huge. I, I, and, and the reason I say that is in this world of YouTube, in this world of social media, in this world of pure as a podcast, like you have to make sure you're going to the right people. So, for instance, I don't mind getting direct messages about Amazon and, uh, you know, but our main thing is eBay. I would say eBay, right? We're primary. I would say if there's ever a place that we, we're not, we're not gurus or experts, not even close, but we're a little more knowledgeable, knowledgeable than a lot would be on eBay. Right. But still there's so much we don't know. Right. So every, different people have their strengths. There, there's some YouTubers out there that are very good about numbers. There's other YouTubers that are very good about, you know, vintage clothing and so on. There's some amazing Amazon people, right? And so if you're trying to gain your knowledge, right, on a certain thing, like just because, you know, somebody portrays something doesn't mean necessarily you should go that person. You need to go somebody that has had a consistent track record and that's who they are. Yeah. And when you start develop, um, like building up wealth, you'll notice too, like people, once they find out that you've got a little bit of money that you could spend, uh, are going to have the craziest uh, I don't want to call them scams, but but ideas, right? Like, hey, I know this person that if you're willing to invest, like I, I heard you got $10,000 saved up. If you're willing to invest in this thing, like it's guaranteed you're going to get 10 times your money in like a month. Like it's going to, if this guy is is selling, you know, jewels in this this other country. And kind of the whole point is, 
is this person a jewel dealer who who has a reputation for for being able to make money, make more money? Or is this just a friend who's got this idea, right? Because you don't want to waste the wealth that you're building. Make sure you're seeking advice from people who are wise. And I think there's a difference too between people that know how to sell something or how to make money. You get what I'm saying? Like, I think, I think in our space, I think there's a lot of people that know like how to make money for themselves, but to translate that into helping other people make money, that's hard. Right. And I still wonder if in Pure's a podcast, like, are we able to translate that? Right. I think we can translate to a certain scale, but I'm not sure we can translate into the make multiple millions a year scale. Right. I think some of the principles we share can be applied to that level. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that's the key principle. I, I think the principled approach. But I, I think the other part is, you know, you gotta just because somebody is flashing a Lamborghini or a house doesn't mean that can help you get there. That just means they figured out how to get there, but can what they do translate, right? So it's it's not, you know, it's very, the, the book talks about, you know, you don't go to the brick maker to learn about jewels. And I think it's the same principle. Like you don't go to the flashy person to learn about something. You go to the person that has accumulated wealth to learn about wealth. But the, the, the beautiful thing about Arcad in this situation is when he makes that mistake, when he invests his entire, he's for an entire year saves up money yeah. and the wealthy guy comes back and says, what did you do with it? And he says, I invested in jewels and it's going to be, the guy's like, no man, you lost it. Right. <laughs> it's so sad. He doesn't give up though. Yeah. Right. Like he keeps going. He says, okay, now well, what's the right way to invest it? And he learns and he goes again, right? Like you've got to be willing to make costly mistakes, but try and avoid them if possible. But when you make a mistake, you learn from it and you go forward. And, and his, his friends even kind of make that comment, like, how are you able to keep going? How did you do this? And he makes this, this statement, this idea of like, when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. I keep my mm -hmm. principles. I keep, I keep my, my goals to, a, to, to, to something that's attainable. And he gives this example. He says, like, if I were to say, I'm going to throw a rock into a lake every time I walk by. And he says, so let's say I do it for every day for days and days and days. But then I forget a day. I walk by and I forget. I'm not going to tell myself, well, tomorrow I'll throw two in. He says, I'm going to turn around, re-step, retrace my steps, and I'm going to throw it in. And I'm not going to say, I'm just going to throw a whole bunch of ones. Like if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to stick to it. And he gives this claim of like, keep your, keep your, your, your principles as, as simple as possible. Keep your rules as simple as possible and follow through and do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you are the person, if you're listening to this and you're like, you know what, I'm reading this book or hearing about this book, I want to have wealth. Like I want to build wealth. And you've got to tell yourself part of what you earn is yours. You have to do it. Like you, if, if you do it for a month and then stop doing it, you're not going to build wealth. Like you have to say like long-term, I'm going to take a portion of what I make and I'm going to, I'm going to use it. Now, the first thing that I think people, um, people kind of run into that. Well, there's two things like one, there's misconception about wealth, right? That it's like a zero sum game that like in order for some people to be wealthy, some people have to be poor. Mm -hmm. Right. And Arkad kind of dis displaces that. And he says, no, like if, if you're wealthy and you build a palace, then you're paying the brick layer and you're paying this person, you're paying this person, that money just transfers. And not only that, now this land is worth more like wealth builds on wealth. It just depends. Are people willing to save it or just let like a lot of times income for people turns into like a stream where like they turn it on on one side and then they turn it on on the other side and it just goes into their bank account and then out the other side. Mm -hmm. Right. They don't let it like accumulate. And so he's saying everybody could accumulate. And because the friends ask like, well, if everybody did this, there'd be no wealth. He's like, no, it's the opposite. If everybody was doing this, we'd have more wealth. Wealth builds more wealth mm -hmm. if you're willing to save it. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of like, again, with what we do, right, With the, um, in the reselling world is like, 
we're very big on like, hey, there's plenty out there. There's plenty of source. It's not that one person, you know, found this amazing item or this other individual, you know, they have it good because they have these stores or they have these places to source. It's again, it's kind of like a one of, one of the quotes that stuck out to me here. Uh, I'm trying to find it real quick. Opportunity is a haughty goddess who wastes no time with those who are unprepared. Right. That's, I, I think that's huge. And we talked about this many times that, you know, opportunity lands upon those that are constantly and consistently ready for it. Right. And, and I think that let's get to the practical. I, I think we've gotten I don't know, maybe I'm off. Maybe I feel like we're really philosophical. I think we're kind of in the abstract a little bit. But the practical is like and maybe if I'm too moving too fast, Mike, let me know. But when he starts when he starts talking about paying back the debtors, am I moving too fast? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're in the principles now. We haven't got to our I'm, principles. Okay. Yet. All right. All right. Well, I, but I go for it. Say what you want to say. No, no, no. But all I want to say is like, all this requires planning. All of it. It's it's not a happenstance. It's not something that's just gonna happen. I I I read I read this right and. I became debt free, I don't know, 13 years ago. I, I owe debt now on my pilot, which I'm going to pay off here. But I want to say, not 13 years, I want to say it was like a decade ago. That required planning. It wasn't like, you know, even with that 10%, like that required breaking down. And, and somewhere in there, it talks about like, why do I want a budget? The budget's going to constrain me, mm. right? It's going to limit me. But no, the reality is, I feel like we're, I feel like we're on a debt-free podcast right now, but but the reality is the budget frees you, right? Because then you can go, okay, I'm gonna pay this off in this money. I'm gonna make part of the ten percent I keep to myself. Maybe this part is the ten percent I give to charity or whatever, and and you know this other ten percent. It depends where you're at, by the way, financially. This is gonna be the money that I do what I want. You know what I mean? But it frees you. No longer are you like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. You know, and then you get into, I would say, especially if you're in a situation where you have a significant other in your life, you create conflict by not having the freedom of saying, hey, this is the budget that we agreed to. And not saying that that's going to end it all, but that budget is freeing, 100% freeing. And so for me, I don't know if you guys have, you know, if you guys have noticed, but listening to the podcast over the past year, you've noticed that, uh, I am not the most, um, can I put it? I'm not a free spirit, but I, I kind of don't like being told what to do. And I don't like forcing myself to do things I don't want to do. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, is that true about me? Would you say? Yeah. For the most part. But I will tell you, when it comes to budgets, when it comes to planning financial things, you must have a plan. Like it is not an option, but it is this freeing option. Okay. Yep. Let's rewind a little bit. Okay, so um, the, the story then progresses where the king of Babylon asks his like, advisors, like, why is it that there's so many people who are poor? And that kind of brings up this idea of the zero-sum game, right? Yep. Why are there so many people poor, but then yet there are some people at the top who have everything? And, and I get, like, there are different perspectives on that, and there's different, like, you, we can look at corruption at every income level. We can look at corruption at every power level, and the higher it, it is, the power level or the income level, corruption can be way more damaging and powerful However, and way more unknown. Yeah, and, and and even hidden, and there's there's all of that. Like I acknowledge that, but but I think if if what he, what what is said in here is true, and I think I think there's a lot of truth to it, is this is something that can be taught, and it's not like 
in order for you to become wealthy, other people have to become poorer, right? Like you can become wealthy without actually hurting anything. In fact, you can become wealthy by increasing other people, right? Like it's a, it's a constant, like everything builds on itself if people are willing to learn this. And so the king says, okay, well, Arkad, can you teach a hundred people how to do this? And so Arkad says, I can do it. And he teaches them seven principles. And so we're going to go through these seven principles. Uh, they're really easy. We'll kind of break them down um, and, and kind of apply them to just day-to-day life and then reselling. So- we wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. So the first one is Wait, what we've... Before we do that, though, if you're listening to this podcast and you have not caught us on YouTube, come on over to YouTube and uh, you know subscribe to us on YouTube, hit that notification. So when the next Level Up review comes on, you will know right away. And if you haven't yet, we're on Instagram. Some of you are new. Some of you are, have never heard about us. And if you haven't, we're on Instagram. We are Pure Podcast. We're always dropping reseller related knowledge and also maybe dropping some of this knowledge on here too. And so please join us on Instagram, Pure Podcast. On Twitter, we are Pure Cast. On Facebook, we are Pure Podcast. You want to, you know, you want to share your thoughts, do in the comments below on this YouTube channel, or you can give us a call at 619-738-1170. That's 619-738-1170. Or send us an email at purosopodcast at gmail.com. And if in any way, talking about finances has somehow helped you financially and you'd like to say thank you in a monetary way, we do have a link to our PayPal. So that would be awesome. So anyways, uh, hey, this is part of what we plan on doing and we really appreciate all of you. And if you find value, you know, be willing to share the podcast, share the YouTube, write a review, all greatly appreciated. Yeah, it's good stuff. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode. Yeah, thank you. Every every two weeks, we're going to have a, uh, a level up episode. There you so, go. Yeah, buddy. All right. Let's we'll get be back. finishing The Richest Man in Babylon two weeks from today. So, all right. Um, so, the first cure, so there's seven cures. Uh, the first cure is actually just the principle we've been talking about. Um, part of what you keep is yours. You've got to fatten it. The, 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 the actual phrase for the cure is fatten your purse, which could be described as uh, your wallet or your purse or your bank account, right? Like increase it. And the only way to increase it is by putting money there and not taking the money out, mm-hmm. right? So pay yourself. It's now, really hard to do. Like is, if that's not the way it's been forever, it's hard to do. Well, and that's what forever. actually, and, and it leads into the second principle, which um, we'll spend a little bit more time on. You kind of talked about it a little bit, um, which is in order to do this, you've got to control your expenses, mm-hmm. right? You have to... Um, you have to reduce the amount that you're spending. Take some of the money because because some of you guys are are at a place where you're not like struggling week to week paycheck. So it's not like 10%. You're like, yeah, I can do that. Somebody might be listening to this. I remember the first time I, I heard a principle similar to this. It was like, I mean, I'm barely making ends meet now. Like how, how could I possibly take 10%? And part of that was budgeting, right? Like part of that is saying, okay, like how can I reduce spending in these other areas? Um, I'm feeling really bad right now. Why is that? Because see, in order to get that free, I went without cable for like four years. Yeah. And now I have cable. And I'm like, why do I have cable? Yeah. yeah Just because I want the DVR. Yeah. Like, but it's true. Like, you're right. Like, there's a lot of things. I, I think what happened, I remember my mindset was like, I can't give up anything. No. Like, there's just no way. Like, I need all of this. But even through reading this book, I'm going, okay, I'm paying for, why am I paying for cable? Okay. I have Hulu and I have Netflix and I also have, I forget whatever other subscription I have. Right. And you just don't. And some, here's the thing. 
it's really easy right now to miss all this because there's automatic subscriptions, right? So it automatically gets deducted. You don't even notice it, right? So it would be good for you to take an inventory of what are those things, especially with, I think iTunes is the worst. Mm. Like you don't even, I mean, I know you're an Android guy, but iTunes, you you just get this random like $2.99 was paid to iTunes, $1.99 was paid to iTunes, $5.99. And if you're not careful, like for all you know, you could be paying over a hundred dollars a month on stuff you don't need. Yeah, and I just want to like say right now, like like I said, there's some people listening who like you're not struggling. If you're mm-hmm. struggling, I I am not in any way, and I don't think this book is either trying to say that this is an easy process. Like to be honest, no. if you are if you're struggling, right? If you are are barely making ends meet right now and you're not sure how you're going to make it meet, you know, you're not sure how you're going to make it next month or next week or tomorrow. Um, getting out of debt and, and building wealth is, it's hard. It's hard work. But one of the things that Dave Ramsey says, and I know this isn't the Dave Ramsey book, but he's got a quote and we've mentioned it before and it's really good. is like, live like nobody else now so that you can live like nobody else later. Right. And the idea is it's, it's going to hurt and it's going to take some time. But if you're willing to do this, like short term, say like, for the next year, like I am going to like tighten everything up. I'm going to control my expenses and, and I'm not going to like try to explain to you how to make a budget. There's a lot of information out there on like how to budget. But I think Orlando is right. It's like at least look at the discretionary things that you're spending money on. That's like, I really don't need this. Cut that stuff out. But instead of using that money to just buy more food at the restaurant or whatever you're going to do with it, put it into a separate bank account, put it into an envelope, put it somewhere where you're not going to touch it and spend it. And then now, you have a little bit of wealth. You have money. That's it's your money. You're worth that now. Um, so, and it's not easy. It's it's not an easy thing to do. But here's one thing that I've noticed, um, and I've I've read lots of studies on this. It's really interesting. Most people live within their means, like or slightly above their means, right? Like bringing on some debt. But whether you're making twenty thousand dollars a year or seventy thousand dollars a year, you're spending. Most people spend about what they make in the year. Now, let's say you get a raise. Let's say you're not a full-time reseller. Um, you got a job and you get a 5% increase for the year. Okay. Most people who are living okay with what they were making before now get 5% more. And immediately their lifestyle expenses go up by 5%. Mm-hmm. Right? No, it's so true. It is so true. Everybody, when you get... I, I mean, for myself, it's true. Yeah. When you make more money, the same thing with reselling. If you start to bring in more money... I promise you, like if you look at, there are people who make $100,000 a year, $200,000 a year, and who are struggling every month to pay their bills. Because as they make more money, they buy, instead of a car that only costs $100 a month, they buy a car that costs $800 a month. And instead of like, their expenses go up with their income and they're not actually building any wealth. Now, one thing that I heard somebody say one time, and I did this and it, it made a difference, is the next time you get a raise, put 100% of that raise, and I, I put it into my 401k, but put 100% of that raise into your 401k or into your savings and just pretend like you didn't get it, mm-hmm. right? And and that's one way of controlling expenses too is the next time you have more money come in, instead of saying, oh, sweet, now I can buy you know, the higher uh, Netflix subscription or now I can buy this thing, instead of buying more things that are going to cost you more money every month or now I can go to Starbucks you know, three times a week instead of only once a week, just keep living the way you were living and save that increase. Agreed. Agreed. And okay, I, I kind of wanted to, can we jump? Jump around. All right. Do it, man. So I before before we jump around, I I I don't know. 
This is I'm gonna go a little off script here. Well, we have no script, anyways. I think you need non-negotiables. I, I think you there has to come a place when you're choosing right. And this was and this I don't know how far we're gonna get into this during this podcast, but this idea of living frugally, right? And and part of the plan here was, you know, he addressed that he was going to engrave the names of every man to whom I'm indebted and the honest amount of my debt, right? So, right. Um, there comes a point in time when you got to make a plan and you got to decide, okay, these are all the things I owe, right? Whether it be student loans, right? Which, oh man, student loans, I would say are probably the most difficult right now, right? For, and I know for you, it's, it's a struggle. I know mm-hmm. for a lot of people, it's a struggle, right? And then, you know, you have all these other debts, but I, I think outside of that, when you look at your finances, you can't just look at the here and now and go, okay. And again, we're not financial gurus at all. I'm just, I'm sharing my own personal experience, okay? And part of that experience was there came a point in time that like I had decided with the family that we were going to be debt-free, no matter what. Like, it was going to happen. And that meant like, if anything with the car broke down, we would have an emergency fund. But outside of that, if it was something that did not hinder the operation of the vehicle, we were not going to put any money into the car. Period. Because we 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 knew the car wasn't going to have great resale value. We were just going to drive it. So at one point in time, we took we we you know we enjoyed our air conditioning. Well, it was July, and we went to Arizona. About 118 degrees. And the air conditioning went out. And it was going to cost about $1,100 to fix it because you needed some special part. And I remember that struggle. And we're going, okay, we're about 10K away from being debt free. But we could drop it. We could, I mean, we have the ability right now. You know, we do have a little bit, you know, because we had, we had taken some principles of the book. We had saved, you know, that 10% for ourselves. And, and we decided not to. And I will tell you, it was a miserable year. Right? And if you have kids, being in a car with, I know this is a first world problem, okay? But being a kid, being, being with kids in a car with no AC is miserable. Miserable, especially in Arizona. Well, now, right? Now that things are better. Now that things are debt free. Now that, now every time I turn on that AC in my car and it's just nice. I, I don't even think I roll with windows down ever. But it's a reminder of like, Hey, we stuck to a plan. It gave the freedom needed. So later on, and we had talked about this later on, I can enjoy. And I know it's a small thing, but to me, it's a big deal. So if you ever see me in a really nice area and it's really nice weather and my windows are rolled up because I'm enjoying my AC. Why? Because you need to have non-negotiables. I think that's kind of related to this. But yeah. I just wanted to share that. Oh, that's good. That's good stuff. Um, all right. Principle number three. Moving on. Make thy gold multiply. Okay. This is a big one. This is um, up to a certain point you should save and you should have a certain amount saved up in case of emergencies. And, and there's a lot of principles about that. But um, one of the problems people do when they, they save money is, and, and this was really popular with people who lived through the uh, Great Depression, is there was a mistrust in banks after that for a lot of people. And people would just stick money into mattresses. And I remember hearing a story of uh, of a lady who all of her money, all of her discretionary money, instead of spending it, she saved and she was building wealth and she literally put it underneath a mattress or in a mattress or in cubbies in the closets, right? All over the place. 
And then they found it when she passed away. Her kids and grandkids went in and they, they started finding the money. And there was like over the time that she'd saved like something crazy, like thirteen or $14,000 saved up, right? Which is a lot of money. But then they realized when she started saving that money, had she put that money into a bank with just the normal interest rate that like banks were giving. A couple percent, three percent yeah, maybe. It would be hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Because when you let money sit because of inflation, because remember like back, back in those times, you know, car might've been $400, right? So if you've got $400 saved, you've got a car payment saved or not a car payment. You got a car's value worth saved. Mm -hmm. But today a car is what? $30,000. So 50. Yeah, so a, a, a $400 then is literally worth, you know, the $30,000 now. So one of the principles is you've got to make your money, start making money. So the, the principle three was to invest, to make your gold multiply. And, and the first one he messed up, right? The character in the story, Arcad, he invests poorly. The second time he invests properly, but then the rich man comes back and asks Arcad like, okay, so what'd you do? And he says, well, I invested the money and it made money. And he goes, okay, well, what did you do with the money you made? And he goes, well, you know, I bought stuff, right? Like I had a banquet and I had a feast. And he's like, no, you're, when you had a feast, you're literally, and it's kind of a graphic uh, description here. said, but you're eating the children of your gold. Right. Like like you have gold. That's why non-negotiables. Yeah. And so one of the things to do is when you invest your money. So key and, and we're not invest. We're not going to give you know guides on investment. Typically, you, you legal disclaimer. We are not dealing with investment. Yeah. But but <laughs> but realistically, like investing in the stocks, investing in bonds. And I'm not saying speculate in crazy things, but like tried and true. And one of the principles is going to people who know better, right? So going to financial advisors who can give you good advice, investing. And then when that money makes money, and if you have a traditional job, you probably have a 401k opportunity, put your money into the 401k, mm -hmm. put money, especially if there's like employee match, right? Like make sure you're taking advantage of those things. But then it's so easy to say like, I'll give you an example. I used a thing called Lending Club a while back. And I did it to invest. And so like I could buy notes and basically I was buying parts of people's loans. And after a few years, the money that I forgot that I put in there, I put like $500 in there, um, turned into like, I don't know, it was like almost $800, $500 to $800 in just a couple of years. And then I was like, well, you know, I made 300 bucks. I could reinvest that 500. Now I got $300. I'm going to go buy a new camera or a new camera lens. Kind of right? like your drone from last year. Yeah. So instead of doing that, if I would have not just reinvested that 500 and be like, now I'm going to do the 500 again for another three years, if I'd invested the 800, the, the, the imagery that it gives in this story is get an army of gold slaves is what it says. Like, like, and literally, cause you think of gold pieces, right? Like this, this is money making you money yeah. work for you. So have an army of them. And then when they have children, make those children work for you. And then when they have grandchildren, make the grandchildren. We're talking about gold. Yeah. Reinvest reinvest the money, right? So dollar bills, make your dollar bills work for you. And then when those dollar bills make a 10 cent piece, make a dime, uh, don't spend the dime, make that dime work for you, make it make you a penny, mm -hmm. right? And eventually the children and grandchildren grow up and you've just got your money working for you. So principle number three, invest, don't stick it in a mattress, put it somewhere where it's kind of tried and true. Mm -hmm. I agree. And again, I, I, and I'm coming from the perspective that this kind of stuff was very overwhelming to me. So like Mike said, you got to go with people that know what they're doing. Right. And I would say maybe it's better to go to other people, you know, that have actually done this and they can vouch for uh, the people that they know have worked out. Right. Because, you know, just going on Googling stuff might be tough for you. 
because you're like, I don't know about this one. We can't go to Yelp reviews. I mean, you know what I mean? So I'm just trying to be really practical and, and just on the ground, like, okay, you, if you're going to do this, you got to make sure, you know, there are people that you, they have a track record with people that you trust will validate that for you. So, yeah. and I cannot explain if you're a reseller, if you're a full-time reseller, um, I cannot overemphasize the importance of having, uh, investing money for, for the future and for retirement. Um, because most people who have jobs that are like the traditional nine to five job have some kind of 401k plan, mm -hmm. have some kind of retirement. pension plan, retirement yeah. that you almost don't think about. And people don't really realize that they are taking money out of every paycheck. Like if you're putting money into a 401k, it's usually only people like will put like 4% in or 3%. So it's not quite the 10%, but maybe the company's matching 4%. And so you're kind of getting 8% there. So that ends up working in your favor. But if you are a full-time reseller and you're not putting money into like an IRA of some kind or your own because you, you won't have a 401k plan, but if you're not investing in some kind of future thing, the future's coming, right? And so it is important to invest and then make those investments make money. All right. Uh, principle number four, guard thy treasure from loss. You mentioned stop loss a couple of times if you, this, this last couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. And uh, in the Instagram about... Like selling stuff before uh -huh. you use too much money. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it's to me, it's it's more of you know they're very careful about the author is very careful about investments, right? So make sure you can at least get your principal. At least what you put in, you can get back, right? And I think I think that applies with anything. I think it applies to reselling. I think it there is. I mean, there are opportunities. I would say that like yes, maybe you can invest and you'll like a hundred times your money or thousand. Those are few and far between, mm -hmm. right? And uh, I know in our own community, it's, you know, we sell a dream, right? Or, or we sell, you know, like, hey, this, is, this, can, this can be your Lambo life, right? But the, but the reality is, is that you got to be very careful. And, and, and at times that might mean you make an investment or you buy, you know, you're reselling and you buy stuff. You're thinking it's going to make you a lot of money, but you're better off selling that item before it becomes more of a loss and gaining that capital and that investment to reinvest. I think it's huge. Yeah, that's huge. It's huge. Um, you know, practically speaking, when it comes to reselling like that, you talk a lot about with Amazon, you know, pulling the lever when you need to, even being willing sometimes to take a loss in order to prevent further loss. That's huge. Um, and, and when it comes to investment, and again, you know, I'm not saying like invest in stock X, but not in stock Y, you know, but one of the principles that he kind of says in this idea is um, study carefully before parting with thy treasure, each assurance that it may be safely reclaimed. And, and part of that is it's better to invest with 5% return, but it's pretty much guaranteed. You're like 99% sure you're going to get a 5% return and you're at least going to have your, your money, maybe lose a little bit, but not very much at all then you might get a 100% return, but it's only a 5% chance it's going to be successful. Oh, that's those are terrible odds. Right? Like you've got to run <laughs> the math there. It's, of course, everybody would love to be making 10 or 15 or 20% interest over a year on every investment. But this is why we talk about reselling. It's the bread and butter items. Yep. Right? Bread, bread and butter, like you you may not, you know, for instance, this, this last go around while I was on a vacation, I probably sold, I don't know, let's say 10 Hawaiian shirts. Right. And I paid one at three bucks, a couple of five. Each of them, they sold for $25, $35 over and over and over and over again. Right. Would I have liked to have had one item that sold for a hundred? I paid five. Sure. Right. But those, those are riskier. 
right? Unless you do the research, unless you really figure it out. So the the key thing is is understanding like sometimes it's best to invest on those for sure items. And I don't know, I, I, I differ a little bit. I, I think if you have the ability, if you have the capital to be able to make those riskier ones and, and it kind of, you don't feel it, I think you should be able to do it. I don't know. I mean, you should balance, it, it needs to be balanced out. I mean, they always say 401ks, the younger you are, the further away you are from retirement, the riskier you're, because the greater risk, you always the greater, not always, but typically the greater risk, greater return. Now, you know, again, when it comes down to the thing, let's say you've got a thousand dollars capital and you can buy a thousand dollars worth of the typical stuff that we sell, you go into thrift stores, garage sales, or you can spend a thousand dollars on a car that might be able to make you $5,000, right? What's the better bet? Well, if you aren't hundred percent sure that this car is going to be able to sell it, like you have to invest in what you know, right? Like, yeah, you might get a better return if it works out, but you might also be stuck with a car out in front of your house that ends up, you know, costing you money. And so same thing with stocks. Typically, if somebody comes to you and says like, you can buy this stock for 25 cents and it's going to be worth $30 tomorrow. So you should invest all 10,000 of your dollars into it. Probably a really bad idea. Now, if somebody says, look, if you invest your $10,000 across these 30 companies, you're going to make like a 5% return this year, which not a ton of money, but it's, it's more of a guaranteed, right? So so be careful with, especially when you're talking about large amounts of money. If it's your entire nest egg, you want to make sure it's it's safe. All right. Principle number five. Are we going through all the principles? All seven. Okay. Yep. Uh, we're almost done. So Are make- they called principles in your book? Are they not called principles? Oh, uh, no, I'm just calling them the uh, principles. It's the seven cures to a lean purse, but- Is that where we're at? <laughs> okay. I'm just, I'm just tracking along. I'm sure I'm not the only one that's trying to track where we are, so- I think we're there. Okay. okay. So are you on principle five? I'm somewhere there. Cure five. I'm getting there. Okay. Make thy dwelling a profitable investment. Remember this one? Yeah. Okay. Own, own something. Yeah. Own, own your house <laughs> if possible. Now, this is, I don't know. I struggle with this one because I, I do believe real estate is huge. I, I think if you want to be, I, I think that to me, one of the best ways to accumulate wealth is real estate. I'm still waiting. I'm waiting for the collapse. <laughs> I'm still, I still have my 10th that I'm saving. Okay. And, and, you know, I want to be in a decent place when things collapse, but I don't know. I, I think there's, there's nuanced perspectives on this. I think one of the nuanced perspectives is instead of investing in something, if you have the ability and, and again, if, if it's what you want to do, then do it. But if you want to do something different, right. If you don't want to be stuck in your nine to five, if you want to, whatever you want to be known for doing this, or you want to start your own shop or you want to do this. I think, and, and again, I could be wrong. Let me know in the comments, but if you want to do that, I think buying property on the way to doing what you want may, may hold you back a little bit. I mean, that's an interesting perspective. I think the typical, the typical idea here, and I know that like, People, some entrepreneurs are against buying and owning property because they like to be able to move. Like if an opportunity opens up in New York, they're going to move, right? Like there's that mindset. But the idea is when when the markets are about equal or when the housing market is down, which depending on where you're at, you know, it makes a difference. But um, if, if, for instance, you're going to pay the exact same amount in mortgage that you do for a rent and you're going to rent for the next 30 years, might as well have bought the house because 30 years from now, if you rented, you own absolutely nothing, 
It's like oh, leasing okay. a car. Like that's I think I think a car might be a better example for the But there but it's not that simple. I mean, in order to buy a property, you also have to have a certain amount down. Right. Okay. For the most part. But if you've been saving a tenth I mean, I could say back in Mesopotamia, maybe it was a little bit easier if you're of a certain class. But you know, if you look at it now, it it's a whole different ballgame. Like like the levels of being able to buy something has changed dramatically. Well, since the 2008 collapse, for sure it's changed. I mean, there's a point when if you had a pulse, you can get a house, right? Like you could drive through, basically drive through, buy houses. But, you know, you could have a house that wasn't really your house. It was still bank owned. You felt like it was yours. Yeah, but but there's still a difference. So you still are, you're still, I mean, if you buy at the height of a market, you're, you're, you're going to, in the short term, lose money. Uh, but but real estate always moves up in price over the long term. No, I agree. I think real estate is huge. I'm just saying there there is, I don't know if that's the only way. Like in the sense that like, again, we talk about, we're talking about wealth. Let's say you could. Okay, so uh, let's take away the, because because yeah, of course, yeah. You're, you're talking about the perspective of if you have, because we're at principal, we're at principal five now. So if you've been doing all of these things, hopefully you're at a place where you could buy a house. Right. This isn't okay. like the person who I'm I'm going from. I mean, but even then, let's say you wanted to do something different. Let's say you're like, hey, it's either the house or I or I invest in this business. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not saying right or wrong, but there's this opportunity. So, you know, that I really this is something I would get to do what I love to do. And if I buy this house, I won't be able to do this. Like I'm going to have to sacrifice doing this to build this house or it's going to take me a, a 10 more years to get to that yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's 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 a possibility. If you've been saving up $8,000 or $10,000 so you can have a down payment on a house and you're going through a traditional FHA loan, right? And but that $10,000 could get you into the investment that you need for a business. But I think that the the idea here is if you're going to be spending $2,000 a month in rent and you can spend $2,000 a month on a mortgage and it's not going to hurt your lifestyle. If you have the option, if it's like I, I've, I've been doing all of these principles. I've got money aside. I might as well buy. And I think it's, it's, I but think I it's th a given. But I, I think it's, I'm just going to throw, I, 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 well, I might as well throw in a little Gary V in here. All right. So his perspective is, hey, what if you could live with other people or find a situation where you're only paying $1,000, right? And then you have that money to build your business. Right. Yeah, I'm just when, I, when I was when I was 18, I bought a house and I had a roommate and his portion of the the house payment made it so I had a like a four hundred dollar a month to own my home. Yeah. So and then when I sold it, I made a ton of money because I had built equity. Yeah. So I, you could still do that owning the home. Yeah. You could still live with people. Th that's uh, I'm just saying there's I think this is ninety nine nine percent like the way it should be. But I, I'm, I'm still up in the air about like. I don't know. I. I'm just not a hundred percent. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just not a hundred percent sure because right now, yeah. Do I want to buy multiple properties? Yes. Do I have friends that own multiple properties? Yes. This isn't multiple properties, though. This is just your where the idea. But here the goal is, is that you build more. Well, but that's like, not. But that's not the principle here. I mean, that would be a, a future investment. The principle here is if you're already going to be spending money to live somewhere and you can, you might as well make it where that's going to your equity and not towards a landlord. True. I mean, but there is, I'm just throwing it out there. there. There is the simplicity of not having to worry about anything and renting a place, not having to do any repairs, not having to worry about, you know, if you rent a place where you don't have to pay HOA fees, 
I mean, there, there no, are... No, you have to pay HOA fees. You're paying no. that. And you have to pay repairs. So yeah, you do. When you're paying a landlord, mm. you don't think all of that is, is nope. included in the price? Nope. You don't think the landlord... Not... not, not I, I can speak on experience. I can speak on experience of others that there's some places you can, you can rent. You pay no HOA fees. You don't pay for you're repairs. You're wrong. Also, you don't have to pay shipping, right? Like when somebody buys something on Amazon, they're not paying shipping. The truth is that you, is built into the price. Ah, I disagree. I think if you- Okay, so you own a property. Tell me, tell me this. Provide, if you provide the land, and, and those of you that are landlords, let me know. I could be dead wrong. If you provide consistency for that landlord, a consistent check, where that landlord does not have to worry about you and you're a good tenant and you're good, like chances are they would rather keep you than have to- gamble on getting someone for a few hundred dollars more to build that into the price. Okay. So you buy a property. You're when you get your very first tenant and price values go up, but when you get your very first tenant, you are building into the price, the price of the HOA fees, the price of all of the things you're going to have to be that's built into the price. If they wouldn't own the property, if they were losing money on it. I agree with that, but maybe they're still making money without all those extras. So they're paying out of their pocket HOA. That. And Could not be. making money off it? No, you're wrong. There, <laughs> okay, they, I'm just saying that that's it's that's just wrong. I mean, okay. So the the truth here is okay. So get it. You don't want to buy a house. Don't buy a house, Orlando. But no, I do want to buy a house. I'm just throwing it out there that I don't. I'm. This is 1923. Okay, this is 2019. Some principles stay true, and some principles may change a little bit because society has changed. Uh, so you think it's not a good idea? If you can to own a, a house, today. I think it's hundred percent a great idea. I don't. So then why are you arguing with? But them? I'm saying that maybe there is something to be said about instead of doing that. If you want to be able to buy a business that will bring you more income than having that house, that may be worth it. Yeah, but that that now you're going back to an earlier principle. Now you're just saving more money and you're investing money. Okay, so let's let's change it. So you're not you're not you're not buying a house. You're turning your dwelling into money. So let's say you are renting property and, and it's yeah. more difficult if you're renting because there's more laws with landlords and stuff, but make your dwelling, make you money. You got an extra room, rent it out, right? You're turning what you already have and you're taking, how can I have what I have make me money? That's just, that's all the principle is. It's like, you're already spending money. So, so let's say you own a home and you've got room in the, like you've got a, a, a granny flat in the back. Instead of just shoving it full of stuff that you're not going to use, use it as an office for eBay or turn it into a rental property, right? Mm -hmm. The idea is turn your dwelling, turn what you're already paying for. And if you can make what you're already paying for, make money. So I don't think, I don't understand why you're arguing with the principle. The principle makes sense. I think it, I think it makes sense, but I think there's some nuanced ways to approach it. I think a lot has changed since the 1920s. But is it, is it a bad idea today to buy a property? I don't think it's a, bad idea. I can't say it's a foolproof idea. Oh, nothing's a foolproof idea. Even investments are not a foolproof idea. I think there idea. was a time when it was. I think, I think real estate and investing to make money, I think is a great idea. I wish I was. I wish I was a real estate mogul. But uh, I just, you know, I, I think it also depends on your stage in life. That's all. So, anyways, we'll, let, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. Or I don't even know if I'm disagreeing. I'm just trying to provide a different perspective. That's all. Uh, well, I mean, uh, but we could do that with everything. Like we could say with all of this stuff, okay, save, save oh, no, 10%. There's some, there's some people that okay. would say, don't save the 10%. They would say, no, throw it all into your business. There's other people that would say, not only do you not save any of your money, 
You instead take lines of credit and reinvest in businesses and make money from those businesses. Yeah, but but again, and we'll probably read one of those books in the near future. True, but 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 then now you're just talking. Okay, so now I'm just throwing the other perspective. You're throwing the other perspective, but you're not like you're 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 taking something and you're articulating it in like the opposite perspective. So okay, so if you own the business, so you're an eBay seller full time, and you said invest a hundred percent of, so live on nothing but top ROM and invest all of it back into more capital. You're already paying yourself and investing. You're just investing into your business instead of different businesses. So you're saying it's a semantics thing. Absolutely, one hundred percent. All right, all right, all right. So if you're investing in your own business, you're investing. You're you're doing the thing. Okay. You're paying yourself, right? I know. I agree. You're, you've just jumped from step one all the way to step three, okay. right? So like, it just seems weird to like argue about it when it makes sense. I don't sense. know if we're arguing. We're just, no, no, I'm we're, just, we're discussing. I'm not saying we're arguing, but you're arguing with the principle. Yeah, just a little bit. That's all good. All right. Well, there we go. Uh, step number six, ensure a future income. So this one is the idea of preparing for the future, right? Because just because you can physically work now, do things now, doesn't mean that when you're 85, oh, you're going to be capable. I don't want to, I don't want to get totes from the top. I disagree a hundred percent on this. Okay. You. No, of course you agree. It's a good principle. Yeah, but it you don't you don't when when you're I would say when you're in your twenties, and no offense to those of you that are in your twenties, like you're like no, I could do this the rest of my life. Then you get into your later thirties, you're like, hmm, I'm not sure. Then you get into into your I'm almost forty, you're like, yeah, I don't mind doing this the rest of my life, but I don't want to do it at this pace. So yeah, I agree. Things to think about. Yeah, prepare for the future. You're gonna you're going to retire at some point. And the worst thing I, I think I can imagine is to put my child or my children in the place where they now have to take care of me financially, right? Like I want to be in a place where when I get there that I'm taken care of and I can help them, right? And so that's kind of the idea here is, is just save, be prepared. Um, the kind of the ending idea of, of um, the cure number six was provide in advance for the needs of the growing age or, and for the protection of your family. Or you could be like, the latest uh, round of very wealthy people that say they, they will leave absolutely nothing for their children. Same. Yeah, you could do that, I guess. I mean, because in the end, they want... But, but at that point... The, I'm not saying that's the way to go. I'm not doing it to my kids. Kids, if you're, if you're listening, that's not happening to you. But you will not be entitled, period. Okay, but do you want them... Even somebody who says that, which I understand, like, okay, I'm going to spend every penny I've ever earned. It's mine. I'm not going to give it to my kids. No, not... It, but spend it in a philanthropic way. Okay, that's fine. People who are like that too. But the idea, though, is that's fine if you get there and you say, I want to spend my money how I want to spend it. But if you get to older age in life and you say, well, I've lived how I've wanted to live my whole life and I haven't prepared for this day that I knew was coming at some point when I wouldn't be able to have more income coming in. So now I don't have income. So now children you have to pay for me, right? Like nobody wants to be there. So, but there, but nah, but I, I think, wow, we're, this is getting <laughs> interesting. I think, I think certain cultures def would define this differently. Okay. Take, okay. Fair enough. And I'm, I'm not saying that it's bad to take, I would, I, I want to take care of my, my parents, my in-laws, all of that. But the point though is if I have, if you have the opportunity of I've saved so that when my kid is helping to take care of me, they're not struggling. They're not worrying about how they're going to feed their family because dad needs this and he needs this operation. He doesn't have any money saved. Yeah, like taking care of yourself. Yeah, I get what you're saying. That's the idea there. Yeah, is, yeah, is no, you're, preparing, you're preparing so your kids don't have to take care of you because unless you, you know, die early, you are going to get to an old age where 
work is not always going to be possible. And even more so now. I mean, yeah. we're all going to, I think, as long as we're in good health and everything's all good, we're going to be living longer. So Yeah. So to get to that point, to get to an old age and not to have money saved up in some ways is it's kind of irresponsible, right? Because it's like you knew this day was coming, but you were like, yeah, it's like yeah. anything though. It's birthdays aren't surprises. Christmas yeah. isn't a surprise. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Oh, and then finally, uh, step number seven, increase the ability to earn, which is um, even now, whether you're working a nine to five or you're doing eBay, find ways to make more money. Yeah, multiple streams of income. I think that's, I think if there's anything that the reselling community does well is this, as far as I, you know, not only selling multiple platforms, but whether it be, you know, other side hustles, whether it be, you know, Uber, whether it be Lyft, whether it be real estate, whether it be whatever it is, I think, see, I think that that is something that most people, I maybe I'm wrong right now, understand. I think we're in an era in time right now where having multiple ways to make money is something that I think most people do. Yeah. And I think part of it is that part of it is the multiple streams of income, but but that's a buzzword now that I don't think is necessarily talked about here. You don't think so? Well, I think what it's talking about here, because it gives the example of, of a guy who wants to make more money. So he goes to his boss multiple times. And he says, I need more money. And each yeah. time he's told no, right? Yeah. And so Arcad says he had one element of it, right? The desire. He had the desire to make more money. But there were things that he was missing. So the idea is you can't just ask for more money. You have to be worth more money, right? Mm -hmm. So it's this. Look at the people at your job who are making, and and of course we can always say like there's examples of people who don't do anything and they make more and all of that. But but the general rule is, if you work harder, do better, and are more productive, if your company can look at you and say this person is invaluable, they bring in twice as much as every other employee, then when you're specific about I need a ten percent raise, it's a little easier than just going to your boss and say I need more money, I need more money. Or they may just tell you cost too much. I'm sorry. They could. Yeah. I'm just be, okay. So I'm just being real. Like that's another perspective. So I would add to this and I would say you, yes, you can, you can make yourself more valuable and you, you could even make yourself invaluable. And I would say many of us that have walked away from full time, from, you know, a career profession to do reselling full time or to be a business owner would say, we walked away because we understood that there's going to be a point in time that, Hey, I'm better off having my future in control of my own hands than putting myself in a place where I'm not sure when I will be at a place where I am too valuable and cost too much. I, I think that's something we all need to be real about. I, I think there comes a place, you know, when you're, and I'm just speaking out of experience and experience of others that have been in my world where in your 20s, like you move up, you can move up really quick, right? If it depends where you go to school, it depends who you know, da da da. And then there comes a place where you got to make a choice to move on from an institution, right? Whether it be in finance or in education, whatever it is, or you somehow put yourself in a place that you, may, you call the shots and you can no longer go. Just saying. Yeah, that's true. It's good. Um, now part of this though is, is if you truly are more valuable and if you're too, if you're worth too much for a company and you're actually worth that, then another company is going to pay you that, right? Like your worth in the economy as a whole yeah. is a certain point. And so the idea here is you can't just want more money. You have to be worth it. You have to, if you're a harder worker than everybody else in time, the general rule is you are going to get paid more than other people, right? Like 
if you do more, and that includes your own business. So if you're an eBay reseller or you're on Amazon and you just say, I want to make more money, that's not going to do like, that's only half of it. The other half is you have to be worth more money. You have to be working harder. And, and there's a the part where Arkad looked at the other people in his company doing the scribing who were making more money. And he says, um, he says, uh, Therefore, did I determine that I would be exceeded by none? He decided he was going to be the hardest working person that he oh, knew. I, this, I think that's such a key principle in reselling. I, I think you always have to have that perspective that no one will outwork you. Not saying that that's how you've, you, you, there may be plenty of people that outwork you, but your mindset needs to be like, no one will outwork me. I will do what I need to get this done to bring in those finances. No. That no. I agree. That's good. What about, um, even the idea too of instead of just saying I want more money because there's a lot of people this comes down to like how you define goals mm -hmm. um, he says instead of saying if that person instead of going to his boss saying I want more money what if you as a person or this character said I need five more gold right then if you had that a specific amount a specific thing not just to go ask for but then you can ask yourself what do I do what do I have to do in order to make that what things do I need to accomplish in order to make that and if you can do that then if you know how to make five extra gold, then you know how to make 10 extra gold. You know how to make 20 extra gold. You just got to do more. So you need to be specific. So a quote here says, desires must be simple and definite, right? Like they need to be, you can't just say like, I want to make more money. You have to be able to say this year, I want to make 20% more income on, on eBay than I made last year, right? Now you've got a goal. Okay, well, what do I have to do? Well, then I need to sell 30% more items, which means I need to spend however many more hours sourcing because I only get to... If you have a specific goal, now you can start breaking down steps. But yeah. if you just say, I want to make more money, well, and that's that, not and, that, and I think that's, again, for me, that's, that's one of the hardest parts is you have to have a plan. I think in, in all of this, you have to have some kind of plan. How detailed it needs to be, you can always hire people to take care of some of the details, right? But ultimately, there has to be some kind of plan. All right. I think we're getting almost to the end here. Yeah, we're, we're at the end. I mean, I, I have one more quote that um, I, I wanted to do to kind of end it off. Do you have anything else you want to say on this I'll, section? I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one. Let me, let me share this. Sure. So here's the thing. So I really think these principles are time-tested and true. I do, 100%. No matter what I've said here. Except for buying a house. No matter the banter I've had with Mike, I do believe that to be true. I will say there are nuanced things. I, I think there's... Things are different economically in 2019 than they are in the 1920s. I think we have so much more abundance and so much availability, uh, excuse me, availability of options of how to make money and how to make things work that, you know, I think the core principle is like, hey, pay yourself first. Okay. Uh, live frugally. Okay. Uh, you know, I even like <laughs> own property. Okay. I think those are still top tier principled ideas that still apply today. But I do think that as we move, and I feel like I'm getting super philosophical, but as we're moving on into the, you know, 2000s, okay, things have changed. Things will change even more with, you know, when menial jobs go away, when we got to get creative about what we do and other jobs will open up. And this is and this is what is later said at the end of this last chapter. He said, Arkad says, therefore, I urge all men to be. Is it Arkad? I think it's Arkad. <laughs> Anyways, I'm just going to read the quote. Therefore, I urge all men to be in the front rank of progress and not to stand still, 
lest they be left behind. And I think that's huge. I think there there has to be an understanding of, of yes, there are these principles, but yes, there are nuanced ways of looking to things and to be ahead of it. And whether that be on eBay, you know, whether it's like, hey, what I did on eBay 10 years ago isn't working. There's something wrong with eBay. No, it's that eBay has moved on and you're not ahead of that progress and you got to figure out ways to adapt to eBay. Same thing with Amazon. Man, Amazon 2014. Woo. Those are good times, right? 2015, good times. Uh, really, you know, my peak, I think, of good times is a little bit later than that. But same principle. You got to be ahead of that progress. You got to understand those things. And not even reseller related, just overall, you know, this is just one book of money, one perspective of many. I think it's probably one of the best perspectives of many. Uh, and and we'll talk about that more when we you know have our part two of leveling up with the richest man in Babylon. But you got to be ahead because being ahead of that progress is going to keep you continually financially sound. So those are my yeah. closing thoughts. That's good stuff. Uh, I'm gonna close off on this quote here. It says this: "Cultivate thy own powers to study and become wiser, to become more skillful, to so act as to respect thyself." thereby shalt thou acquire confidence in thyself to achieve thy carefully considered desires. I, I can't put it any better than that. Work, read, become wiser, do everything you can so that in the end of the day, you can respect yourself and have the skills and ability and capital and opportunities available to achieve the, the clear desires that you're setting out for yourself right now. Agreed. I think it's good. There's nothing for me to add to that. That's great. Well, until next time, uh, our next level up part two, uh, where we'll be finishing up The Richest Man in Babylon. And make sure to be real. Be relevant. And be reading and reselling. Late. Peace.